They want to work with experts and not just experts in UX writing, experts in specific industries. They want to work with UX writers that are relevant, that have a knowledge set that's applicable to what they do. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast that's brought to you by the UX Writing Hub, which is the leading UX writing and content design training in the world. If you're interested to get into UX writing, check out our free course at uxwritinghub.com. We have also the UX Writing Academy, which is a certified program for writers in tech. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Slater, and she is the gig gal. Slater Katz, how are you? I am doing well, Yuval. I am so excited to be on Writers in Tech. I've been listening for a while. Thank you so much. It's amazing to have you. I've been following your work for a while, so it's very exciting. We had an event together mm-hmm. not that long time ago for our community, and now we're going live with a podcast episode. So that's fun. Yeah. So before we start, I'd love to ask you a little bit about your background as a freelance UX writer. Definitely. So I was not always a freelance UX writer. I was not always a UX writer. I'll take you back to college where I started out. I went to Fashion Institute of Technology in New York, and my dream was to be a fashion journalist. So if you know Vogue magazine, the editor-in-chief is Anna Wintour or was Anna Wintour. You can tell I'm not in fashion anymore, but I wanted to be her. I wanted to work in fashion, be a journalist, but that didn't happen for me. I ended up in like email marketing and CRM kind of stuff, customer relationship marketing, and wasn't loving what I was doing, but kept climbing the ladder there because you know, that's what you do. And eventually became a 24-year-old director of customer relationship management marketing for a beauty company and was not qualified for the job, hated what I was doing and was just kind of in a moment like, oh my God, okay, I have to decide here. Like I can choose to live life on my terms and have a career that is fulfilling and passionate and supports me, or I can continue down this marketing path in this role that I'm 24 and not ready for. So I quit with no plan. And I decided my favorite part of my role is the writing part. I got to write emails and stuff like that. So I figured I'm going to figure out what it's like to be a freelance writer. And so I, again, I quit with no plan and I just started figuring out how I could find clients. I originally started with blog writing or content writing. And my first two clients were someone from my improv club and someone who I just randomly found on LinkedIn. Yeah. Just someone I randomly found on LinkedIn from an ad and I was making pennies in comparison to my director job, but I was like really finally engaged in what I was doing and loving what I was doing. And I was determined to figure this freelance thing out. So I kind of leveled up the blog writing and got into copywriting, landed a copywriting client called Twine. And they said, hey, like, do you also do UX writing? And I knew what UX writing was. And I told them, I'm happy to learn as I'm working for you and figure it out on the job. And that's kind of what I did and fell in love with the UX writing side of things and how like, the approach to problem solving. And then I went on to contract for companies like Netflix and Fitbit as a UX writer. So my goals with freelance and my career is I want to make more, work less, and reach financial freedom and independence. And the best way I found to do that would be to open my own business, my own UX writing freelance business. So I opened my first consultancy, which was writingforfinance.com. And I was a freelance UX writer for fintech apps and got landed clients like Chime and Verizon Financial Services. And then kind of like Amazon, 
they started out with books and then they expanded into, well, everything. I started out with fintech, which gave me the baseline to then expand into just growing startups, which is my current consultancy made by Slater.com, where I help growing startups. And then most recently, I launched my newest venture, The Gig Gal, which is basically helping UX writers, freelancers, everyone do the same and to help them make more, work less, and live life on their terms with freelance UX writing. Nice. What a great vision right there. And what a journey. Yeah. I mean, amazing. Definitely been a journey. I remember last time we've talked, you told me that you moved to like a quieter place, right? Like more of a suburban. Where did you move, by the way? Yeah, so we left. It's kind of been actually it's been a whole journey post-COVID. My partner and I, we left California, went on this road trip, and we spent, we lived in a tiny house in Washington for a bit. And then we spent time in Ames, Iowa. Then we spent a year in Bozeman, Montana. And then we just bought a house in a town called Appleton in Wisconsin. And that's where we live today. Yeah. How do you like it so far? We love it. I mean, it's definitely like, it's funny through the whole journey of leaving California, I've gotten used to a slower pace of life and the cost of living difference is also amazing. So it's definitely a very comfortable, like easy lifestyle where you like things don't get in the way. It's just kind of, I can live life and not have to think about it so much. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's amazing. Yeah. Like living in, I'd say in your own terms, in your own schedule. I really like that. Yeah. So what I know about you is that you really mastered the area of UX writing freelancing. And we have many listeners right now, a few of them people that want to get into the field, right? People that like are not UX writers at all. They're doing the transition right now. People that maybe want to work full time one day in a company like Google or another tech company, or maybe people that want to be freelancers one day. What would be the challenges when it comes to freelancing? Yeah, definitely. So I'll kind of bounce around here because I feel like There are just challenges in general, but then if you're coming from like the Googles or the current UX writing job versus if you're coming from like not UX writing, you'll find different challenges. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so when you hop into freelance, I feel like the biggest kind of like concern is where do I start? How do I find a client? How do I position myself? And so I'm going to caveat and say my approach to freelance is maybe different from some other freelancers in that, again, I mentioned my goals were to make more work less and reach like financial independence. And so with that, like my approach is starting a business and less so being a service provider. There's nothing wrong with being a service provider. It's just caveating my approach to freelance. And so if you want to get into freelance, my first kind of like advice would be to figure out what your goal is with freelance, because that's going to like play into how you structure your freelance life. So for example, if you are looking to be similar to me, make more, work less, reach financial independence, going off on your own and finding your own clients and building your own business and niche and positioning and marketing, that will be a route for you. If you are looking to maybe just like not be as involved in a company, but still work full-time hours and have that more like just dependability. So you're kind of like a full-time employee of sorts, contracting and being a service provider might be more for you. And so if you want to be getting to the business side of freelancing and think in that way to reach goals like I have. First off, when I talk to startup CEOs, clients, et cetera, this is not just my advice. It comes from them. They want to work with experts and not just experts in UX writing, experts in specific industries. They want to work with UX writers that are relevant, that have a knowledge set that's applicable to what they do. So for example, my, I had a coffee chat with a CEO of a startup called Greg and Greg is a plant care app. And the CEO told me, you know, it's so important that I partner with people who understand direct-to-consumer businesses, that understand, you know, the challenges that we're up against, that understand we are 
creating a community and a habit building product. And so working with freelancers to understand that versus someone who worked at Google, they'd rather work with someone relevant than someone that's worked with a big tech name. So that's why niching is so important by like being freelance UX writer for FinTech apps, being freelance UX writer for fitness apps and having a domain and expertise is even if you're a beginner UX writer, having that expertise in a hobby or just your previous experience or your passion makes you so relevant because freelance this is another surprise or maybe something you didn't expect, but Freelancing is not as much about like providing a service as it is solving a problem. And startup CEOs and clients have problems that they're looking for you to solve. UX writing is the vehicle or the tool you use to solve that problem, but you need some expertise and knowledge in their industry, in their field in order to solve that problem and stand out from the crowd. Because that's finding clients is one of the hardest things with freelance, especially if you're not going to go for the contract model, which like big companies like LinkedIn and Klarna, you know, they have full-time freelancers on contracts, like six-month contracts, 12-month contracts, and that's fine, but it's a little different from what I do. Clients can come to you when you figured out how you're relevant to find your niche, to find your target client and customer, because if you're for everyone, you're for no one. And so I highly recommend being specific, finding out who you can help, how you can help, and why you're different from the next LinkedIn profile. Love this tip. This is an amazing tip. I feel like also... Freelancing help you when you're just getting started to maybe experiment with different types of projects. For example, you don't have to work full time for these like three years in the same product, but yeah. you can experiment, do different projects. You, you can see what industry kind of speaks more to you and what industries you want to maybe double down and get more clients on those things like you did for FinTech, which I think yeah. was probably a brilliant move and then move to like growing startups, which was also probably... Like, I think it's also a brilliant move and kind of natural growth from where you started. I think that's a really cool tip. So we did talk a little bit about like contract for companies like LinkedIn, for example, right? So that type of freelancing, but we're talking about different type of freelancing, right? Like having different clients and making more money for less time. That's amazing. So let's talk about like sensitive topics. Like, first of all, how to charge your clients or even like, how much would you charge from your clients and how can you even decide like how much to charge basically? This is a tricky question and something that I feel like I know, I know. no one has the perfect answer to. And to be honest, like freelancers who have been working for one month or freelancers who have been working for 10 years, pricing is like one of those things that you just continuously learn and experiment on. But I'll explain first like the three different types of pricing models I see and then kind of explain What's good, what's bad, and how to think about pricing when you're starting out. So the first is hourly pricing, and that's pretty straightforward. You work an hour, you get paid a rate for that hour. I see entry-level freelance UX writers getting into freelance charging around $100 per hour. I now charge up to $200 per hour. But the reason why I don't like hourly as a method is because it's exchanging time for money. And if you work 20 hours one week and 10 hours the next, you're going to have unstable income, and you're not really going to be able to like a comfortable human every day um, because you're not going to be able to depend on what you're making. Another reason why I tend to, like, I don't work with as many big tech companies anymore is they're usually structured to only be on hourly. That's how they work with contractors. So it's a choice you can make, but I tend to avoid hourly. It can be make sense to do when you're starting out just to get your foot in the door, but I avoid hourly. The next kind of method is charging per project. And that's basically somewhat client has a defined scope, whether it could be an onboarding flow or something else. And you gain a really good understanding of what the project entails. And then you figure out 
how to price it. And there are a couple ways you can do that. The easiest way is to take your hourly rate and then kind of take how many hours you think it'll take and then multiply that and maybe add a little padding just because things always go wrong. That's one way to do it. And it's the easy way to get into it. The way that I actually recommend doing it is more of the value-based pricing model, which is more complicated, but basically it entails figuring out what value the client stands to gain from this project and then figuring out what percentage of it you think you deserve as a cut like in exchange. So for example, say you're working on an onboarding flow and by decreasing drop-off on this onboarding flow, the company stands to increase revenue by a million dollars. Just made up example. You could say, wow, the company is going to make a million dollars. I think only making a thousand or two dollars isn't maybe fair. So instead, I think it's fair for me to get 10% of that a million dollars It's $100,000, which is a lot of money for a project. Yeah, which this is, again, a made-up example, but it's just to show... It made sense. It makes sense. You have a lot of like success-based project providers. Like I know that it might be extremely challenging to lend those, but if you're like famous for being that person that knows how to reduce churn or that person that knows how to increase conversions, you can definitely dive right into that and you can even make more than $100,000 for a project because companies take leap of faith with your work and it is possible yeah and i know i know people that work in that like value-based method just specifically in ux writing a lot of time based on my personal experience it's really challenging to measure specifically like if i i change right now an error message or like a bunch of notifications so Usually, if a company would reach out to me and say, hey, can you rewrite these 200 notifications? It would be difficult for me to understand what's the value. So I would probably go for the project base, which would be probably my hourly rate multiplied by the amount of hours I estimate for it to take. And then I take like 11% more for padding, buffer, whatever you decide to call it. Mm -hmm. And if I can decide, do the, like most of the time, like marketing writing they know better how to what's the value because they have like measures in place so email that sells like a landing page and then you manage to sell like 100 products in i don't know even like ten thousand dollars each and then you can say okay so maybe i can get a cut out of how much this email campaign sold so if you can measure it i think it makes a lot of sense to be value-based basically yeah even if there's not like a set dollar number there's still a way to use value-based pricing i think like for example i recently spoke with a startup who they are about to launch their product and this and they want to kind of clean things up before they officially launch and this launch is like important because before they get there they're going to meet with partners and partners are incredibly imperative to their launch. And so if the product looks better, the partners will be on board and then their launch will be a success. So it's asking questions like, what's the risk of failure? You know, if you don't get these partners on board and they would say like, it's detrimental. This is like required for us to launch successful. Great. Well, if you do launch successfully, what does that look like to you? And using that as a gauge, and maybe you can't get to exact number, but you'll understand the level of importance that this project has. And you can use that to kind of gauge the value and understand Instead of just translating an hourly rate to a per project rate, how you can charge more on a value base based on maybe productions they have. And again, how imperative the project is to their success. Amazing. And okay, so for example, let's say that right now someone reached out to you and they want to do a project, you have your pricing in place. So what would be the most common way for you to charge people? 
Yeah. So it kind of depends on the kind of client I'm working with, but I work a lot with seed stage to series B companies. And as it goes, you know, a lot of these companies don't have a UX writer or never have had a UX writer touch the product. So how it kind of works is they'll have a specific problem that they need help you know, UX writing to solve. And we'll have maybe a starter project where we'll kind of figure out how we work together. You know, if it's a good fit, just to start the relationship and see how it's, if it's a good fit. Because sometimes, you know, it won't be a good fit just for personalities or working styles, et cetera. So if that first project goes well, then what I like to do is instead of hopping into like, again, an hourly arrangement or something like that, is to do a string of projects. So it also gives things a distinct focus. So it's like, okay, we did project A, completed, everybody's happy. Okay, well, Let's see what else is on your roadmap. Okay, there's project B. Great. Project B will take three weeks. Great. We'll look with this for three weeks and then kind of toward the end of maybe end of week two, we'll say, okay, well, let's start planning for project C. And so it's kind of stringing projects and that accomplishes goals of one. I have one focus at a time. So I'm not like bouncing around to different tasks and less like a full-time employee where you're asked to do many different things. It also is a strategy to charge more because if you're evaluating things on a per project basis, there's, again, you're not exchanging time for money and there's just more dollars to be made in that strategy. Have you ever thought about like starting a, an agency means like hiring more writers and being more like a manager in that sense? I've thought about it. To be honest, one thing I am doing with the gig gal is like I'm helping people break into freelance UX writing and I have some programs that help people learn how to pivot into freelance UX writing. And I've thought about for the pe- some people like making an agency under the gig gal or something like that. Future idea something to explore and who knows when, but right now the gig gal is focused on, yeah, helping people break into freelance UX writing, but who knows, there could be a world where, yeah, there is an agency. Yeah, why not? I feel like it's it might be a really cool idea. Yeah, no, definitely. All right. So you talked about pricing and how to maybe set up your first project, maybe start small and then expand with the same client. That's a huge tip. I love it. But many people are asking themselves, how can I find those seed startups, A round startups, B startups? Like, What's the way to find these type of clients? That's like the other side of freelancing. You have like the actual work and 50% of it, if not more, is the hustle around the work, right? So how do you find these type of clients and like a few tips that you have maybe to manage that process around the professional work, if that makes sense? It's a myth that I spend all my day writing. When you're a freelance UX writer, You have to, yeah, you're running a business and there are things that go into the business other than just producing UX writing, which is what I sell technically. So to explain my strategy, I don't do cold outreach. I don't do cold email. All of my clients are inbound, meaning they find me, they either fill out a form on my website to contact me or they message me on LinkedIn and we go from there. And that was the way I wanted to run my business because I don't feel good cold emailing people. It just doesn't jive with my personality. And so I wanted to find a way again to get to find people who had problems to come to me. And so there's a way that I do that and I can explain the process. And this is, again, repeatable by someone who's just getting into UX writing, just getting into freelance UX writing, really applicable to business in general. So the first step is, so you need to figure out who your target customer is, and that involves your niche, your personal brand, kind of like having your roadmap for how are you going to position yourself in the market as a freelance UX writer? Because if you look at LinkedIn and search freelance UX writer or freelance anything, you're going to see just freelance UX writer, freelance UX writer, freelance UX writer. There's no way to really know who to click on. Same with Google and et cetera. And then once you have kind of your positioning, your messaging, and then you're going to get into marketing and you're going to build out a website. Basically, the goal is to create a sales machine. And so you have a website that is more of an experience than a landing page. 
and kind of coaches someone as to how you can help them, how you, you understand the depth of their problem. There are layers within that website, and I'll explain that too. And then you make it super easy for them to reach out to you. So going back to the beginning, having a target customer. So yeah, just like Lululemon, for example, the athleisure brand, they have a very specific customer that they're targeting. Just like as any business, in your freelance UX writing business, you have a specific customer and you need to find out, are you targeting what size company? Because if you're targeting, again, like a big tech company versus a seed stage startup, the seed stage startup, your target customer might be the CEO. But at a big company, your target customer might be a product operations manager um, or program manager. So it's you need to figure out who they are, what problems they have, pinpoint them in the world, why they're looking for a freelance UX writer, what their life is like, how are you making their life easier, and really almost creating a persona. I mean, in UX writing, we know personas. This is just applying it to your business. You have a very clear idea of who your target customer is, and then also Putting that with a niche, I recommend starting out. Again, I started with the FinTech niche and just like Amazon, they started with books and expanded everything. It's a great way to get your footing in freelance to start with a niche. And so great ones to start out with are FinTech. There's the crypto world. There's a lot of FinTech fitness apps out there too. InsureTech or healthcare. Traveling, dating, uh, uh, delivery, and like you name it, there is so much niches that are untapped right now for yeah. UX writers. They just need to literally grab it and write about it and create content around it yeah. and maybe experiment with like UX writing in those niches and they're good to go, I guess. Yeah. It's like, there's so many opportunities for niches. And if you, again, have expertise in that, can communicate your expertise, you're going to stand out because again, clients want relevant freelance UX writers, not just UX writers with big names behind them. So once you have your targeting positioning and then your messaging figured out, so how say, one thing I recommend doing if you are up for it is finding these target customers you have like in real life saying, hey, like messaging with people on LinkedIn and saying, doing some user research and saying, hey, you know, I'm launching this freelance UX writing business. I think I'd like to help people like you. Do you mind if I talk to you for 15 minutes just to pick your brain. You could even offer an exchange, like an exchange for your time. I'll give you some UX writing advice or do a light audit just to learn from them. So then you can figure out in their words, what is their problem? And then put that problem on your website in their words. You want to speak their language. So when you do go to build your website, which I think there are some things that are important to have on your website, like you are resonating with them. So in the full-time UX writing world, having a website is not necessary. Having an online portfolio is not necessary. In the freelance world, I would say having an online presence is necessary if you're going for the business route because you have to get found. You're like a, you are a business and just like any business, you need to have an online presence, a way for people to engage with you, a way people find you. And the key is that your website is an experience. So someone needs to come there, understand how you solve their problem, why you're different, how they can work with you, and then even like understand that you are an expert. So one way to do that is with a blog. And so blogging about not just UX writing, but UX writing in your niche, in your niche in general shows like that you are a thought leader, that you have experience. And they don't need to know how to write an error message, but they need to know that you know how to write an error message. So communicating that adds value. And then having, yeah, services, having samples of your work, having a blog and have making it so easy to book time with you, like using a service like Calendly, just again, makes you... An experience makes you a business, not just a service. What I really like about, like, there's two things I really love about this. The first thing is that when you work like that, have some kind of a content strategy in place and bring people to you instead of like doing cold reach, people are so, I say like in quotes, baked <laughs> about the fact that they want to work with you already. You don't have to convince, you don't have yeah. to do the selling. They're more or less know that you're a pro mm -hmm. and the conversation starts 
in a very like in a higher level yeah and uh, means that you start already talking about like okay we're in the same page already mm-hmm. let's see like let's set up the logistics and start working in case like we have chemistry in case like pricing is right so that's a great tip like bring people over with the content strategy and uh, yeah but i really really love that tip all right so many people are asking right now themselves okay I create some kind of a content strategy. I found some kind of a niche. Maybe I know a lot of people in that specific phase feel probably a bit insecure. Like maybe should I start doing it? I don't know if I'm good enough. They have probably the imposter syndrome. So what they should do in order to take that leap of faith or like how can we nudge the people that are on the fence right now to actually do it? What would you say to them? So many things. I feel imposter syndrome and I feel fear of failure. And that can be paralyzing. I know like, especially with launching the good gal, fear of failure is real. And so there's some things that I picked up and it's first thing I would recommend people do is like, if you try something, what are you risking? And for a lot of times it's just like, maybe it's what people think and it's maybe it's just not working out. And I think I adopted the mindset of being more afraid of life is short And I'm more afraid of not trying things and learning than I am of failing. And that's a hard thing to internalize, but I try to tell myself that is like, there's a phrase called memento mori. And it's basically the idea that death is, everyone's going to die. And this is getting pretty deep and dark, but it's true. It's good. It's good. I like it. Yeah. We have one life and can you or I, or all of us can go about doing what we're doing and feeling comfortable, but something could happen tomorrow. Something could happen next week. If we're not living our fullest life today and trying things, then when are we going to do it? And so it's just kind of going for it and then not being afraid of what people think. Cause it's hard. Like when you start marketing yourself and maybe you post on LinkedIn and nobody likes it, it's hard to feel like, Oh my God, like I'm, I embarrassed myself. But the thing is that I've learned over time is people aren't paying as close attention as you think. And you have to keep oh, trying because sure. over time it'll build and it's just growing pains in the beginning. And if dedication is what gets you there and consistency. So just, and you have to get reps in. Failing helps you move forward. So if you know what it feels like to fail, you're going to be less afraid to fail. So more, it's kind of odd advice, but the more you can fail, the better you'll be at failing and the easier it'll be for you to move forward. I couldn't agree more. Like you couldn't believe how many entrepreneurial ventures I tried before Mm -hmm. the hub, the UX running hub uh, from I don't know, like from like weird stuff. I did prop crawls <laughs> and I was a web design agency in a very small suburban city in Canada and a lot of stuff, a lot of like stuff. But every failure, and I had plenty of those, kind of taught me something towards what I know to do. So thanks to the pub crawl, I knew that like... I don't know, I knew how to operate Instagram afterwards and then I knew how to have the confidence to speak with random people and do business with them. That helped me with that. The web design business also helped me with that. I like approached random people in the mall and just said, hey, how about your web presence? Yeah. Do you have any, maybe I can do it for you. It was like in 2013 or something like that. So it was like before people had, like not everyone had websites. So I was like, okay, I will build websites. I might make good money. Let's try then I tried to do it in New York and then I was like, oh shit, everyone is doing it. Right <laughs> so, and then nobody, want, oh, nobody wanted me to build their website because I wasn't even a good web designer. I was just like a mediocre WordPress web designer. Yeah. And yeah, every failure got me maybe a bit closer to, to do something that was eventually good. And even today, 
I feel like I, I even want a little bit to fail with experimentation. I don't call it failures anymore. Yeah. I just call it experiments. And let's be curious and let's be playful and let's have fun. And let, maybe this idea could work and maybe it's not going to work. And at least I know I tried yeah. and I'm not going to regret it. I'm probably going to regret a really good idea that I haven't tried. So why not? Yeah. I like what you're saying about like experimenting and playing. I think if you see it as the world or freelance or business is your playground kind of takes the seriousness out of it, which again, makes it more approachable and less intimidating. If it's, I'm just experimenting, I'm just playing around versus I am doing a serious business that needs to be successful. It's a different mentality. Exactly. And the world is your playground yeah. and think about it. You have in your pocket largest source of information that humanity ever had, just right in your pocket, mm -hmm. your phone. You can literally reach out to every person in the world. And that's also like frightening. Like, okay, so what should I do? So once you have some kind of focus about like a specific niche mm -hmm. and specific thing that you want to do, even if it's not related to UX writing, just go all in, try to build those relationships. You're like one message away from actually doing the thing. Mm -hmm. And that's scary for most people. Yeah. But if you're not scared of it, go for it mm -hmm. all in. Definitely. Amazing. Okay. So the last thing that I want to talk about is, okay, we have people right now, they listened, they convinced they're going to build their own content strategy. Maybe they will have a, a social media post or a blog post or YouTube channel or a podcast even, which is a great content strategy channel. Mm -hmm. They know more or less how to do their pricing and so on, but they're thinking to themselves, wait, but like... How a day in the life of a freelance UX writer looks like, right? And I've seen this really cool website in your article, in your uh, blog, The Giga, where you said that most of the time, the majority of the time, go to client work, like 25 hours, four hours more or less to marketing, mm -hmm. two hours a week for sales, and uh, one hour, two hours goes for planning and admin work. So how would you say i really like it first of all and i could agree with it and i would ask how exactly do you plan it is it like one day of planning or you spread it along the week how exactly um, do you recommend people to follow this this recipe i would say this is what my freelance life looks like as like a net capacity full-time freelancer so it might look different when you're starting out it might look different when you're getting momentum and it'll look like probably like this when you are at capacity. So if you're just starting out, I mentioned, you know, things you mentioned that I mentioned were client work, marketing, sales, and planning and admin work. So if you're just starting out, I recommend spend you might not have client work. Maybe you have a small client. You're going to want to spend a lot of time marketing because again, this is how you're going to find clients. That's how clients are going to come to you. So spending time dedicated to your website, spending time Whatever content strategy you choose, whether that's blogging or podcasting or YouTubing or tweeting or LinkedIn article writing, whatever you choose, the more you can get out there, the more it'll work for you. And so, and then as you clients start reaching out, more and more time goes to sales. So being on sales calls, which is basically just the introduction call where you learn about the project, explain why you're the best one for the job. And then you go on a discovery call maybe, which is where you get a better idea of what the scope of the project is. So you then can create a proposal, which is not a brief. It's a sales document, in my opinion, where you are, it's your last effort to kind of convince them you're the best person for the role and you have you're relevant and you understand their problem deeply, intimately, and can solve it. And so, yeah, as you're getting momentum, you'll time, spend more time in sales and client work, less time in marketing. And then again, as things go, you'll have more admin work too, whether that's responding to emails, networking, which is something that will be consistent throughout 
all your time as a freelancer, I would definitely make time to network on a daily or weekly basis. And yeah, sending invoices. Again, as you have more invoices to send, that time will creep up. But yeah, so the right now, my I spend probably between 20 and 30 hours a week on client work. And then I try to spend like an hour a day maybe on marketing and then sales varies and then admin work varies too. But client work and marketing are like the non-negotiables for the week. Right. I mean, what I really like also to do, and I see that you do it a lot, is to have not like regular traditional marketing, but also kind of out of the box stuff, thinking creatively. For example, in your website, you have the option to book a demo call with you or to book like a consulting call with you for free, which is a great content strategy because it's literally bringing Mm -hmm. leads to your doorstep because people get interested and you give them like a free gift have like newsletters yeah. and also email course that's also a delightful thing people bring their email they get stuff so i'm talking to the people here but if you can think about something delightful something creative like in the ux running hub we also like to do it like a salary survey for example or a piece of content that it's a bit i don't know unique so that might help you to land that first client if Right now, I'm referring to what you said at first, that if you don't have a lot of clients or if you have low capacity of clients, your work is to find that client. So if you're in that phase right now, which is most people that are just getting started, so I recommend to to do something out of the box, something creative, maybe interview some professionals from your niche or something like that that is delightful for the audience. And that will probably help you with your content strategy efforts. Yeah. Another thing that I think is a little untapped that would be an interesting to try for the NCUX writer to attract clients is a webinar. I've been doing webinars and workshops, but if you like fintech clients, for example, safety, security, and providing peace of mind and building trust is something all fintechs struggle with. If you maybe decide to host a webinar as a fintech for the NCUX writer is, you know, in 30 minutes, learn how to increase the safety and security of your product, your feeling of safety and security in your product so users feel trust and peace of mind. That might be an idea to get many clients on a call and kind of show how you can help. Right. And if, for example, you're just getting started and you're not expert in fintech, so maybe you can bring an expert and interview them and and just host it and learn from that person and in the same time kind of have a win-win situation. Yeah, I love that idea. All right. Getting into the end of the interview, I'm having a lot of fun here. Thank you, Slater. I saw on your website also a really cool post about, so we're talking about those freelance marketplaces like Upwork mm-hmm. and, and why you shouldn't be there Yeah, in your opinion, mm-hmm. right? So uh, you have different freelance marketplaces like Fiverr, Upwork, in case you're not familiar with them. So it's places where you can offer your service as a freelancer. And what's your take later? Why do you think it's not the best ideas for, for freelance UX writer? Yeah. So I am, again, this is my opinion. I agree with you, by the way. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is our opinion. But yeah, so Upwork definitely favors clients. And what it does is when you make an Upwork profile, you have to spend time on the platform, building your presence, gaining momentum so that you can then submit a proposal, spend time building a proposal for the opportunity to interview with a client that you might not get. So you could spend tens of hours on Upwork and not find a client versus you could spend those tens of hours building your own personal brand, building your own web presence, building your own business and get clients coming to you. And so Upwork also takes a cut of your money. It goes up to 20% of your earnings. So you are, yeah, it's a lot. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. And so again, you're spending time to find a client through a platform that's taking part of your earnings. And then it's like, you don't necessarily own the relationship with your client because it's all through Upwork. You don't have their email. And then Upwork can also, it's their platform. They can revoke your profile at any time. And if you spent all this time and energy building your business on Upwork and one day Upwork goes away, or for some reason you get kicked off, then you're starting from zero and you could have spent all that time creating your own owned business platform, your own website, your own marketing strategy, your own content strategy. So, and you also make more because again, Upwork's not taking a portion of your money. So yeah, I am very against Upwork. I think it can seem easy, but in the long run, it's not the best strategy. Right, I agree. And also the type of clients that you get is not necessarily the best kind. Mm -hmm. And to find like a good match as a hiring person on Upwork, it's so difficult for me to find like the right match, even for more traditional things that's supposed to be really straightforward, like podcast editing or video editing. Yeah, It's very challenging to find the right match over there, really challenging. Definitely. So UX writing is a bit more complicated because a UX writer, you need to integrate your processes with different companies. And I couldn't imagine how to be successful as a UX writer on Fiverr or Upwork. I find it really hard to imagine. Yeah. My last question for you would be, and to follow up on, on the last thing I just said about like integrating yourself with the client. So do you have tips once you got a job, you have your schedule, you have the client, basically. There are a few challenges integrating with a new client. So all of you would be on the same page. Sometimes you have designers that are not collaborative. Sometimes you don't have designers at all. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have other writers in the team. So what will be the best, what would be your tip basically to integrate your own process with the client, like as an outsider, in quote? Yeah, that's a, a, a good question and a challenging thing to do, to be honest. Because one thing you're signing up for freelance is you're signing up for constant newness and constant change. So with that, you kind of have to come into a project with a lot of like energy. And like you have to, if you come in excited to work with the team, they're gonna be like, oh, cool. Like she's pumped. We're pumped. So What I like to do is I first like to schedule a kickoff call with not just the client who I had a sales call or a discover call with, but with everyone that I'll be working with. And then I'll also ask before that happens, like, who are the people who are going to be weighing in on the success of this project? Let's make sure they're on the kickoff call because a lot of times people creep in here and there that you didn't realize in the beginning were going to be involved in the project, but they are. So the kickoff call is an opportunity just generally for you to explain to the rest of the team who you are, how you can help and why you're the expert. And you don't come in there and say, here's my plan. This is what we're going to do. You kind of create a conversation and you talk about how collectively you're going to measure success and determine success. So I like to like determine the success of the project early on, because if you don't, then you're set up for subjective opinions and that could just not end well. So yeah, kind of, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. You set up how you're going to measure success. You set up maybe another call with a product designer. If you are working with a product designer, just meet, get to know them, learn, ask them how they like to work. And so you can kind of fit their working schedule. Don't just come in and say, this is how I like to work. This is how we're going to do it. Just open a conversation, get to show them that you're a human. And then from there, just, you probably want to, so content audits are a huge thing in the freelance UX writing. So again, being collaborative and bring people into the process. So don't just kind of go off on your own and do a content audit. Like if there's a product designer, like ask them things here and there, like even to like help you with things or help you find things. They'll make them feel included in the process so they don't just feel like you're the stranger coming in, changing things. So yeah, making people feel included in the process. Then also 
having direct points for feedback and review. So kind of people, your project's tracking along well and people aren't surprised you get to an area where you're presenting and they're like, whoa, we weren't along for this journey. So bringing people along for the journey, but still, you know, having a, a leadership mentality, but also being collaborative, open, and just generally a likable human. Definitely. All right. All right. Great tip. Thank you. And it's hard at the first to kind of gather that leadership mm-hmm. and bring it to your client, but I think it's really crucial yeah. because then you let your clients to manage you. Mm-hmm. And that's the big no-no because when clients manage you and there is so many voices out there yeah. and maybe like, I'm talking from my experience as a freelance graphic designer here, like someone random says, mm, I don't like it. And then like, you're like, all right. So what should we do here? And so you need to set expectations. Mm-hmm. This is the amount of versions we're going to create. This is the amount of iterations we're going to create. That's our end goal. That's how success look like. Create it in the brief and make sure you're setting ex- expectations and meeting those expectations by the end of the project objectively. That was a good tip. Yes. Amazing. Slater Cuts. <laughs> What a pleasure. We should do it more. Yeah, no, this was so fun. Every time I meet with you, it's like I have a taste for more. So thank you. Yeah. And yes, the last question would be, and we ask it every guest, and that question is, Slater, how do you think we should name this episode? Now, I have a few ideas. I can share with them if you want me to start. But yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I have one idea, but I'm curious what yours are too. So, okay, so I'll start. So we did talk about like the whole process of freelance UX writing from getting started. And I really love how you set it up in your website with exploring the idea, preparing the pivot and pivoting as we speak. You did it in your website. I think it's cool. And because your name is The Gig gig Gal, so maybe something like, I don't know if smashing is a good word, but maybe smashing your first UX writing gig or maybe something like that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was the kind of notion, but it's not my job to find the name for this episode. It's our guest. So do you have any idea yourself? Yeah. No, I like that. Like smashing your first UX writing gig, like from start to finish. That's a good one. From start to finish, I like it. Yeah. My other idea was, so it's important, I think, to understand the like advice you're subscribing to and where that comes from. And so I said, my motivations for getting into freelance UX writing are to make more, work less, and reach financial freedom. Mm-hmm. To put that up front and center, that title I had was something along the lines of freelance UX writing to make more, work less, and reach financial freedom. Oh, that's amazing. I love <laughs> it. Let's go for it. I think it takes my, like, what I wanted to say and just put it in way better way that is also intriguing and one who makes you want to actually listen to it. So I think it's really, really good. Amazing. Slater Cox. <laughs> Thank you so much. If you're interested to see more of what Slater is working on these days, I really recommend you to check the website, thegigel.com. We will also add it in the show notes. There are many amazing pieces of content over there from a really cool and active blog that I feel like you've been publishing over there every day now for a while now. So that's pretty awesome. (laughs) Newsletter, email call, training program, all the good stuff. So check it out. Anything else, Slater? Anything like what would be the best place to reach out to you in case people want to talk to you? Yeah, the best place to find me is either at thegigyal.com or on LinkedIn. So you can just find me, Slater Katz, on LinkedIn. Connect with me there. I love to meet people who are interested in freelance UX writing and help in any way I can. So I'm an open book and my door is wide open. So yeah, let's connect. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for listening for another episode of Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub. 
My name is Yuval. I'm the founder, Yuval Keshtecher. I'm the founder of the UX Writing Hub and the host of this podcast. And I'm very grateful for the fact that you've stayed, listened all the way here. I appreciate your time. If you're interested to learn more about UX writing and content design, I recommend to check out our free course at theuxwritinghub.com. That's about it. And I'll see you next time. Bye.